are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Diamondbacks podcast. You're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day are listening to who? The always charismatic host of this podcast, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer. So please go check out my website, MillerThomas24, thatmyportfolio.com. On there you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. And if you want to see more content by me, I had to figure out what I want to say there for a second. But if you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account. Or just look up Locked On Diamondbacks on both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, thank you for making Locked On Diamondbacks your first listen every day. I would not be doing this podcast without you, the listener, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. But what are we talking about on today's pod? Well, I am giving you my MLB Hall of Fame ballot. We've been talking a lot about the Hall of Fame and steroid users and other other controversial guys, whether they should get in or out. And I'm giving you my official ballot today. We're going to break down the candidates I would put in and some of the candidates and some of the candidates I wouldn't, why I wouldn't put them in. So we got a whole jam-packed pod for you guys today. As always, breaking down the MLB Hall of Fame ballot. But before we get there, intro drop. You are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, Every day. Miller Thomas of Locked on Dimebacks back here. And before we get into my MLB Hall of Fame ballot, I just want to first give a disclaimer. This list is kind of biased toward players I grew up watching or have a fiery opinion about. I grew up on the East Coast. I was mostly a Red Sox fan growing up. Yes, I liked the team before I liked the Diamondbacks. I covered the D-backs. I've liked them since coming out to Arizona, but I did grow up a Red Sox fan in my heart. So my list is biased toward players I watched growing up during my, you know, just growing up watching sports because I really didn't get into baseball until like the late 2000s, I want to say, probably around that Yankees championship uh, because I grew up in New Jersey. So that Yankees championship was kind of a big deal for a lot of people. So that's probably really when I got into baseball because I just love narratives and the villain storyline. So rooting against the Yankees was fun. I really got into basketball right during the big three era of LeBron. Like to root against that team too. So I've always liked rooting against the villains in baseball and so rooting against the Yankees and picking the Red Sox was kind of my thing but just a little disclaimer as to why or why not some of the dudes on my MLB Hall of Fame ballot will be getting inducted so let's first start off let's start off the MLB ballot hot with a very controversial name I've talked about this guy a lot on this podcast but the first guy is Kurt Schilling I believe we have to put Kurt Schilling in the MLB Hall of Fame because he has won three World Series he's got 
a couple of pretty famous moments in the postseason as well. Uh, how can we forget the bloody sock game? A co-World Series MVP with the all-time great pitcher Randy Johnson. That 2001 World Series. D-backs over Yankees, of course. Three-time runner-up in Cy Young voting. 15th all-time in strikeouts. Led the league in complete games four times and strikeouts twice. I think... Kurt Schilling has had a phenomenal career. I think he's had a fringe Hall of Fame career in the regular season, but I think it really gets bolstered by his postseason career. And he had 11 earned runs, which is a 206 year right, in 48 World Series innings. So 48 World Series innings, only 11 earned runs, 206 ERA during that time. I know, listen, I know Kurt Schilling is a terrible dude. He said some disgusting stuff during his you know during his post playing career but even with all that stuff said i don't think i'm gonna enact the character clause here because like i've said multiple times i think the character clause applies more toward the player's career than their post playing career i think the character clause is supposed to apply to a player during his career and not really after if that's what you want to do with it that's fine but my understanding of it what i took away and and how i interpret the character clause i believe it should be applied to a player during his career not post playing career so because of that kurt schilling you are a hall of famer in my book and I gotta, I gotta say, I denounce everything he says. I denounce the character, but the player I'm putting in the Hall of Fame. Next up, Roger Clemens. We're gonna keep it going. The controversial stuff. Seven Cy Youngs. You really don't have to get into the numbers with Roger Clemens because the numbers slam dunk Hall of Famer based off the numbers because he's arguably the greatest pitcher. He's arguably the greatest pitcher of all time, like seriously, but he's mired in steroid allegations, of course. I believe he did take steroids, but like I said repeatedly on this pod, it was during a time when more than 5% of the league at least did steroids, and we have dudes in the Hall of Fame now who wouldn't have been in if we started the steroid crackdown during their Hall of Fame eligibility. We've seen some guys admit years later that they did steroids during his during their playing career, and there's some guys who did steroids during their playing career because it was legal at the time, but it is now illegal. You're not taking those guys out to the Hall of Fame, so Roger Clemens, you should be in. The next dude, I apply the same logic. Roger Clemens got seven Cy Youngs. Barry Bonds got seven MVPs. He should be in the Hall of Fame because he's arguably the greatest players anyone ever seen on the diamond. Roger Clemens might be the best pitcher, but Barry Bonds might be the GOAT athlete of baseball players. And you can kind of tell when he started juicing when you look at his numbers, but he still potentially won. Two to three MVPs the clean way back in Pittsburgh. He won three MVPs. He was basically a 35-35 kind of a guy. He had an all-time career even before potentially using steroids. I just hate how the greatest players of some of the greatest players of all time really showed up during the most popular era of baseball, which was the steroid era. And the league doesn't care. And the league didn't care that there were sus suspicions of these players using PEDs because they were making so much money off their money, excuse me, they were making so much money off their production and their likeness. MLB didn't care that the Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds were using steroids during their peak because MLB benefited a lot off Clemens using steroids and 
going to Cy Young, uh, and winning Cy Youngs and going to big market teams like the Red Sox Yankees. Barry Bonds carried the Giants in the Bay and was exciting and hit every at bat during that 73 home run season was playing on Sports Center. Like those are two of the greatest players that brought notoriety, brought popularity to the sport of baseball where it kind of needed it because we've seen football take over. We've seen the rise of basketball. Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, those are some of the faces of the sport of baseball. And yes, I, I can admit that maybe those guys took steroids. I keep saying maybe, but I kind of feel like those guys took steroids. But I don't really care. MLB should have done something when they got all these allegedly fail tests from their, stupid, from their superstars in like the early 2000s or whatever. But instead, they chose to keep they chose to keep quiet and kick the conversation can down the line. Plus, like I said before, there is already a bunch of suspected users in the Hall of Fame. There's guys who admitted to using steroids in the Hall of Fame. It is just dumb that we don't have some of the greatest baseball players of all time in the Hall of Fame. Yes, they might have cheated, but it was during a time that everyone cheated. Because of that, I don't care. The Clemens, the Bonds, they were so freaking phenomenally good. Even if they did steroids, I don't care. Let's put Bonds, Roger Clemens, and even that dude that we all hate, Kurt Schilling, all three of them. The the I don't even know what the name should be called. We need some trio, some some trio. It's like the anti-holy trinity. Like we need some trio, some nickname trio for Bonds, Clemens, and Schilling because those are probably the three most disliked players. Maybe Bonds is the most undisliked if that's the right way to say it but all three of those guys are kind of in the same boat when it comes to controversy but all three of those guys are hall of famers in my book now i'll tell you about some other players who i would be putting in my mlb hall of fame but first i want to tell you about how this episode is being brought to you by built bar because this holiday season grab the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar or even better than a candy bar. Built Bar, filled with so much holiday goodness, rich with decadent flavor, covered in chocolate, but amazingly low in calories, sugar, net carbs, and fat, and high in protein, you get the best of both worlds, delicious and healthy. They have so many flavors, and Built Bar gives you that extra fuel you need to bust down those mall doors and battle all the holiday shoppers. Because it's a season of peace and love, don't bring up your favorite Built Bar flavor at family parties. People are so passionate about their favorite about their favorite flavor, they'll fight for it and things could get out of hand. You're friends with Santa? Well, tell Santa, throw a few Bilt Bars in those stockings because I desperately need them. Want to cozy up with something warm? Here's a holiday secret. Dip your Bilt Bar into a piping hot cup of cocoa. Absolutely delicious. Like some of those marshmallowy treats around the holidays, you need to get your hands on Bilt Bar Puffs. They're basically a s'mores, but packed inside a built bar just go to built.com use promo code lock 15 you'll get 15 percent off your next order promo code lock 15 for 15 percent off at built.com All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the podcast. Now let's continue discussing my MLB Hall of Fame ballot. I'm going to continue with the controversy. This is a guy who probably won't get in just because of the trajectory of the voting cycle, the way it's going in terms of his voting percentage every season. It does not seem likely that this man does not seem likely that it, blah, 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 blah. it does not seem likely that this man is going to make the Hall of Fame. And that is Sammy Sosa, who is ninth 
all-time in home runs, one-time MVP, seven-time All-Star, 31st in RBIs all-time. And I just apply the same logic that I do with Bonds to Sammy Sosa because that's Sammy Sosa versus Mark McGuire. A home run race was electric for the sport. It really was Probably one of the most entertaining seasons in baseball history. And of course, I didn't watch it. I'm just telling you everything that's been documented and how people talk about the lore of baseball. They always bring up the late 90s, early 2000s as being peak baseball. And Sammy Sosa is one of the reasons. I definitely believed he did steroids. But imagine if Sammy Sosa didn't do steroids. Imagine how boring baseball would have been. Again, that 98 home run race was phenomenal. And if Sammy Sosa doesn't do steroids. You don't get Mark McGuire hitting 70 versus Sammy Sosa's 66. Maybe Mark McGuire doesn't even crack 70 because he doesn't have to push himself against a Sammy Sosa to go for the home run record. I feel like he probably has no shot of making the ballot, like I said before, just because of the way the trajectory has gone for his voting. But with the numbers, with how much excitement he brought to the game of baseball, the fact that he carried the sport in terms of popularity there for a little bit, I think we have to put Sammy Sosa in, even though off the field, his character, I kind of haven't like post-playing career. I don't really understand the whole bleaching of the skin. Uh, I'll just leave that one alone. But Sammy Sosa, you're a Hall of Famer in my book. Next up, this guy is a slam dunk champion. If you know me, you know this is my all-time favorite player. He's going in my Hall of Fame. He'd be, and again, this guy would be a first ballot Hall of Famer for me. But the other guys, I don't really specify if I would put it, put them in the first ballot or not. These are just guys I would vote into the Hall of Fame. First ballot or not, these are just Hall of Famers to me. David or David Ortiz, that's the guy who I'm about to talk about. David Ortiz is the only one of them who I would guarantee a first ballot Hall of Fame to just because I love him so much. But let's talk about David Ortiz because, of course, he played DH full-time, never got to get those defensive metrics up. But career, 26th all-time in slugging percentage, 12th all-time in doubles, 17th all-time in home runs, 23rd all-time in RBIs, eighth all-time in extra base hits. I feel like if you're like between 15th and 25 in like seven offensive categories all-time, I feel like you probably are a Hall of Famer. He's third among balladers in OPS+. Plus. That's just this year's potential Hall of Fame candidates. Big Poppy is like Kurt Schilling in the sense of he had a damn good regular season career, but his candidacy for the Hall of Fame goes up another level when you look at his postseason track record. Big Poppy had the best win, prob- win probability added. I knew that was going to be a tough word for me to say as soon as I started, but he had the best win probability added in the postseason of any player all time. In three World Series, Big Poppy has a 455 average and a 1372 OPS. Once you got to the World Series, like I said before about Big Poppy, they always say one man can't carry a team. Once you got to the World Series, Big Poppy was carrying your offense. Like you could have threw me, could have thrown out a podcast producer. I don't have a podcast producer, but you could have thrown out a podcast producer. You could put on David Locke, the, the man who started the podcast network. You could put him in the lineup. Like there's so many different lineup combinations you could have had as long as you had Big Poppy and you were playing in the World Series. Your team offensively was going to be just fine. He's one of the most magnetic players in baseball history. A true joy to watch on the diamond. Big Poppy, my heart, you're definitely in. And then 
Last but not least, we'll talk about in segment number two is Jonathan Papelbon, who might seem like kind of a surprise. I thought it was a little bit of a surprise, too, when I first saw his name on the ballot. I was like, Papelbon, is he a Hall of Famer? But I went back. I dug up the numbers. I remember all my memories about Papelbon growing up on the East Coast. I was like, he was a damn good reliever, but was he a Hall of Fame reliever? Well, the stats, six-time All-Star, 10th all-time in saves, a career 2-4-4 ERA, 104 whip, and a 10 strikeouts per nine. Ain't too shabby either. And also, the thing that really maybe put Papelbon over the top and maybe made, and made me really consider him for the Hall of Fame is how dominant Papelbon was in the postseason. I kind of forgot about how great he was in the postseason. Of course, he was on the team in closed games during that 2007 World Series run, but Papelbon, through his first 17 postseason outings or his first 26 innings pitched in the postseason, he did not allow one earned run. He did not allow an earned run until his only and last postseason appearance in like 09 it was his last postseason appearance he's ever made in his career it was the only postseason appearance he's ever made in his career where he allowed an earned run he allowed three earned runs in that game it was like a blown save I'm not even entirely sure what happened but Jonathan Papelbon had a great what eight-year stretch where he was dominant because strikeout dudes he controlled games he was one of the league leaders every year in games finished and once you got to the postseason and you put this guy in a game you best believe he was shutting it down and getting you that win so Jonathan Papelbon a closer job is to be consistent a closer job is to shut the door on the game where your team has a chance to win and Jonathan Papelbon usually did that on the biggest stage so because of that He's in the Hall of Fame along with Big Poppy and Sammy Sosa. Now, I got one more guy for you who I think should be in the MLB Hall of Fame before we discuss some dudes who just missed the cut for me. But before we get there, I want to talk to you guys about BetOnline because BetOnline has you covered all season. More props, odds, and lines than ever before as football season continues the march to the playoffs. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKDOWN to receive your bonus from basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, all right, all right. Let's wrap up the pod and let's discuss the last man of who I'm inducting into the MLB Hall of Fame. This is someone who, again, like a Papelbon, I was kind of surprised when I saw him on the ballot. But again, once I did the digging, it crystallized for me. This man has to be in the Hall of Fame. And I think the reason it, it kind of, uh, the reason I think I was a little bit hesitant at first is because. He kind of got a late start in his career, and that is Joe Nathan. He had a late career surge because he didn't become a full-time closer until the age of 29, and he basically had one of the best stretches ever for a closer. Uh, It was basically a seven-year run where he was just absolutely dominant. His seven-year 
His best seven-year war total is actually better when you add it up than a Papelbon or Billy Wagner, who's also on the ballot. So you could basically say, take the best seven years of Joe Nathan, and they're actually better than even a Papelbon or Billy Wagner from 06 to 2013, which is seven seasons. Not his best seven seasons, but it's just a seven-year sample size that happens consecutively. He had four seasons with an ERA below 1.8 and two with an ERA below 2.8. He was a six-time All-Star, and he's eighth all-time in saves. I said before, Papelbon is 10th all-time in saves. Nathan is actually eighth, which actually surprised me because I did not realize Nathan was eighth all-time in saves. When I figured out he didn't become a full-time closer until he was the age of 29, I was like, oh, he's probably like 20th or or something all-time in saves, even though I knew he had a great seven-year run. I was even more surprised to see that he actually was eighth all-time and ahead of even guys like Jonathan Papelbon and saves all-time. I don't think we remember Nathan as elite because, like I said before, his peakness of his career just started so late, later than a lot of guys. But even with that being said, you can take his peak of his career and basically put it against any any closer seven-year stretch. You could take his seven best years and put it against anybody Papelbon, Billy Wagner, Joe Nathan is right there, if not better, in pretty much all categories. I like Joe Nathan a lot. He's someone that I kind of forgot about for a little bit there. And that's kind of crazy to say because he is a Hall of Famer in my book, but even Hall of Famers can be forgotten sometimes. So Joe Nathan, you're a Hall of Famer in my book. I don't care what anyone else says. But now let's do some honorable mentions and talk about some guys who just missed the cut for me. I first want to talk about Billy Wagner, Scott Rowland, Bobby Ray, and Gary Sheffield. Those four players, I think, have the next strongest cases to make the Hall of Fame. The only reasons I didn't, just because those guys were just kind of a little bit out of my era. I watched Bobby Abreu probably the most out of those four, but Wagner, Rowland, Gary Sheffield, all of them kind of finished between 07 and like 2012, right at the beginning of my MLB journey and I wasn't like a hardcore guy you know my first year in baseball I wasn't deep diving every stat of every player around the league like it just didn't happen for me at 11 years old like that like I just wasn't super into baseball my first year now over the next couple years I did become a super big stat nerd but that first year I probably wasn't so I wasn't probably super aware or keen of those four players but just looking at their statistical resume at a glance I think those four players probably have the strongest cases to get in outside of the guys I mentioned today and I and uh, I just want to mention Bobby Abreu had a pretty fantastic offensive resume better than I remembered he was basically like a 20 uh 20 home run 35 still in base guy for like an eight nine ten year stretch so go check out bobby bray's baseball reference if you haven't done it already or haven't done it in a while same with billy wagner scott Rowland, and gary sheffield tim hudson uh tim hudson tory hunter mark Teixeira, ryan howard and jimmy rollins and andrew jones are in that next batch for me i think i have all of them just a tier below the first guys i mentioned i mean you can You can parse with some of those guys there. You can even probably put them all in the same category if you want. But those guys were just on the edge of the Hall of Fame to me as well. I don't think, I think I would strongly say none of them are first ballot Hall of Famers. But if you told 
me any of them made it on the second third fourth fifth ballot i don't think i would be that surprised once again tim hudson tory hunter mark share ryan howard jimmy rollins andrew jones all those guys were really close for me same with a wagner roland bobby Brady, and gary sheffield and just more of that second batch i just mentioned those were more guys i grew up with and watch i felt like all those guys were elite players but i never felt like they were hall of fame level like tory hunter i always thought he was an elite player but i don't know if he was hall of fame elite same with a mark to share ryan howard or jimmy rollins like i thought they were all right there but i don't know if i would put them in the hall of fame todd helton is kind of the same case he's kind of like a ryan howard but when i looked at todd helton's career i don't think his prime was long enough like he basically was elite from age 25 to age 30 but it kind of fell off for todd helton after the age of 30 so I think his prime just wasn't long enough to get into the Hall of Fame or get my vote. Mark Burley was the definition of a workhorse pitcher. I have to go back and look at the stats, but I think he pitched at least 200 innings, like 14 of the 15 seasons he was in baseball. Like he was a true workhorse. The thing is, I just never felt like Mark Burley was a true ace. I never felt like he was the most trustworthy guy I've had to give it to him in Game seven of World Series. So because of that, he didn't get my vote, even though I do love the fact that he goes over 200 innings like every year. Manny Ramirez, one of my all-time favorite players, basically disqualified himself when he failed like his eighth PED test. He still might be trying to get back into baseball at like age 55. You never know what Manny Ramirez. All-time great. Super fun player to watch, but just failed too many steroid tests. Same with A-Rod. Again, I care about steroids if you failed them after 2007. The Mitchell Port not prior to 2007 in the Mitchell Report. Just remember that. Andy Pettit's career, I think, is a little overrated statistically. I think being a Yankee helped him out a lot and helped him getting on this ballot. And he was a great postseason guy as well. I just don't know if his regular season was as good as a Big Poppies or a Kurt Schillings. And then everyone else who I didn't mention today who's on the ballot, I'm just basically indifferent toward. And if I didn't mention you today, you're probably not getting my vote. So that is Miller Thomas's 2022 MLB Hall of Fame ballot. Again, I'm not basing it as to, I would say, this guy's a first ballot or not a first ballot. I'm just telling you who I would give my vote to, whether it be their fifth ballot, 10th ballot, or first ballot. I don't care. These are just Hall of Famers in my book. Again, biased toward players I grew up watching and biased toward players who uh, who I grew up watching and there was no, or biased toward players who I had a fiery opinion about. I knew I had it written down. I had to check the notes. I had to check the notes to remind myself why I had certain players bias toward me but that's it for this edition of the locked on dimebacks podcast thank you everyone who tuned in to today's edition of the locked on dimebacks podcast we'll definitely get a locked on host on the pod later in the week or some guests on the pod later in the week of course come back tomorrow for more dimebacks news coverage and insight and as always stay safe and stay healthy out there deuces